You're listening to Latin Experts, a podcast of Latino studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Latin Experts features the voices of faculty, staff, and students, as well as friends and alumni of the Department of Mexican-American and Latina Latino Studies, the Latino Research Institute, and the Center for Mexican-American Studies. Join us for this episode of Latin Experts. Episode 5. What would it look like if Afro-Latinos were centered in Latino politics? Today we offer the last in our five-part series of Latin experts on centering Afro-Latinidad and challenging anti-Blackness in Latinx communities. I'm Karma Chavez, the chair of the Department of Mexican-American and Latino-Latino Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. And today I'm joined by Dr. Danielle Cleland, who has just started her position as an associate professor in MALS, and she's also got a joint appointment in African-African Diaspora Studies. She's recently arrived to Austin from Miami, where she was an associate professor in the Department of Politics and International Relations at Florida International University. Dr. Cleland studies Black politics in the Americas. She examines Black public opinion and Black consciousness to determine how attitudes are influenced by both narratives of racial harmony and realities of structural racism. She is also the author of the award-winning book, The Power of Race in Cuba, Racial Ideology and Black Consciousness During the Revolution. Danielle, thanks for being on Latin Experts, and welcome to UT. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, and I'm happy to kick it off in this way. Well, I'm excited to get to introduce you to folks as uh, one of our latest hires and uh, really also grateful because you're in the middle of moving. So thank you (laughs) for taking this time. So I guess I wanted to just jump right into the conversation. And one of the things I was thinking about was over the weekend, a lot of my friends on social media were circulating a graphic of presidential race, uh, the polls over the weekend. And it was divided into three categories, this graphic that people were showing. Of course, it was white, black, and Latino. Uh, Unsurprisingly, it said something like 49% of whites, so one out of two whites are still supporting our good friend Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's compared to what they said was 10% of blacks and 23% of Latinos. So I wanted to kind of use this as a way to get into this conversation. Can you talk to me a bit about how this approach to measuring public opinion uh, obscures certain things about uh, identity in the United States? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, one of the things that I'm really kind of diving into right now is looking at how we ignore the intersections between race and ethnicity. And so it's not only with these polls that we see. It's in political science in general, where we have Latino politics and we have black politics, and the two don't have a lot of conversations. Mm -hmm. And so when we're looking at Latino politics in particular, we're not thinking about race. And so what we end up having is Afro-Latinos in the Latino politics or the Latino poll. We have Afro-Latinos in the black groups, Mm -hmm. right, that are being polled. But they have both identities. And so it's really inaccurate to talk about these groups as separate entities without really talking about what the overlap is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I'm trying to look at is not only what happens when we take that intersection into account, but then also how does race matter within Latino politics? So among the Latinos we see, you know, where 23 percent are supporting Donald Trump, what does that look like as far as race is concerned? Mm -hmm. We have no idea. Um, But 
so far what I've seen is that Afro-Latinos look a lot more like African-Americans in their political attitudes, their voting behavior, than Latinos as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's super interesting because we really don't have any data on that. Um, And I don't necessarily know that polls are going to follow, you know, what we're trying to do in political science (laughs) as far as looking at these intersections. But at least we're starting to talk about it, you know, within the field. Um, But I think polls are going to continue to separate these two. And it really speaks to this idea that Latinos are not black. Mm-hmm. And that black people are not Latino. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you said about the kind of trending more toward African-American among Afro-Latino populations, because that's, I guess, in some ways expected. Uh, and maybe if you could elaborate a bit more on that, talk about what are the priorities, political priorities that Afro-Latinos seem to have over and against maybe what white and mestizo Latinx populations have. So mostly what I've been looking at thus far is um, our experiences with racism, experiences with police brutality, which, you know, is important in this time that we're in right now. And what I look at is how experiences then affect political attitudes. And so what we see is that black Latinos are far more likely than white and mixed race Latinos to experience racism, to experience police brutality. This is not to take away from the fact that Latinos are right being discriminated mm-hmm. against and do have um, negative experiences with police. But we see that when you are black, that is amplified. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when you have those experiences, that changes the way that you think about your own position in society. It changes the way that you might vote. It changes the way that you think about uh, race and, you know, its effect on, um, you know, our institutions. And so, you know, if we're looking at voting behavior, we see that black Latinos are more likely to vote Democrat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is something that we're still exploring. But that's 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 the kind of place that I'm taking it, right? So experiences with racism, how does that affect your political attitudes um, as far as Black Latinos are concerned? Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And again, not super surprising. It's just not something that gets a lot of space within our dominant public sphere. Uh, And I was also thinking about this in relation to, I was reading a a Pew Research Center study from 2016, and it was talking about the fact that roughly 25% of Latinos actually are Afro-Latino, identifies Afro-Latino in terms of their heritage, at the same time that um, not a lot of those actually use that phrase or that that identification. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about that. I mean, we already have the Latino, Hispanic, you know, that whole question of who we are as a people. Uh, But how is that complicated? Or in what ways is that complicated when we talk about labeling or identifications of Afro-Latinos? Yeah, so there are several, we see this particularly in surveys in political science. And so there are several surveys where um, in since the 90s, Folks have asked Latinos, you know, do you identify as black? Um, In the first Latino national political survey, it was 0.8%. So not even 1% of Latinos identified as black. But then when you looked at skin color in the same survey, 8% of the the sample said that they were dark skinned. Hmm. And so there is a disconnect between how people see themselves as far as color is concerned 
and then what kind of name they give themselves as far as racial identity is concerned. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of studies that show that Latinos are less likely likely to identify as black or African American. And then the conclusion after that is, well, they, Latinos are distancing themselves from blackness. They don't want to identify as black. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure that's what's happening. I think that, you know, when we look at identity, Latinos are perhaps associating black and African-American together, mm-hmm. um, but not necessarily always distancing themselves from that blackness because we see that on skin color. And when we ask um, questions about identity in more creative ways, putting in several other categories that are often used in Latin America, we find that many more will identify as black. Um, so I think that that's why the Pew uh, Research Center found that that 24% um, number. Mm-hmm. The other part of this, though, on the other side, is that when you do ask about being Afro-Latino, sometimes people that are phenotypically white will say yes. <laughs> Okay. So, so you know, we have this this narrative in Latin America that says we are all mixed race, right? We all have African ancestry. And so I think that that prompts people to say, sure, I have African ancestry, right? We're all mixed. Uh, you know, I'm Afro-Latino. Uh, and so, you know, in um, I'm currently working with the collaborative multiracial post-election survey, long mm-hmm. name, uh, the CMPS, <laughs> which asked about Afro-Latinidad, but then also about skin color. And Mm -hmm. so what we found is that there were a good portion of folks that are phenotypically white that still said that they were Afro-Latino. So it's tough. The trick is to kind of find the balance where you're you're getting um, accurate measures of who really is black, and then how do those folks identify. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the show last week, and mm-hmm. I was talking with Pablo Lopez Oro about yeah. some of these questions, and he was wrestling with this too in his own work in the sense that, uh, you know, uh, white and mestizo mixed race Latinos absolutely should be able to be in solidarity with black lives, but that framework of Latinos for black lives erases Afro Latinidad. And He's wrestling that same question of like, what about basically white passing Mm -hmm. uh, Latinos who um, claim Afro-Latinidad and what's the politics of that, you know, kind of more in a movement sense than in the more traditional political sense? Uh, And I think these are complex questions. And I don't know if they come up as as much in the kind of survey work that you do um, as... Well, for the stuff that I do, yes, right? Because I have to... um... I mean, most of my attention in the survey work is on this, is on gotcha. identity and how people identify, because that's the that's that's how you identify the sample sure. in the first place. And so, you know, now that we're you know we're doing an Afro Caribbean uh, sample for the first time in the 2020 CMPS, and and a lot of my questions are just on this, gotcha. trying to identify, you know, how you know, who is black and then how they identify by asking a number of questions, open-ended, closed-ended, skin color, you know, all kinds of different ways so that we can be more accurate about this. Um, But I think also, uh, you know, mestizaje is tricky because on the one hand, you know, Latinos experience discrimination. And so, you know, when we're thinking about how people view their position, many Latinos 
can see themselves as in solidarity with black folks because many have the same experiences with police. Many have the same experiences with, you know, employment discrimination, with housing segregation. Um, at the same time, when we when we evoke mestizaje and we say, you know, we are all mixed, that mm-hmm. can also be an excuse for anti-black attitudes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have this African heritage and so I can't be racist. Yeah. Um, and so it, it works. Um, it works both ways in that sense, I think. Yeah. Well, it reminds me a little bit of what happened this weekend with your former senator, Marco Rubio, <laughs> uh, who tweeted his very loving tribute to yes, uh, yes. Representative John Lewis, who, of course, died late last week. Uh, and his tribute was accompanied with the picture of the late Representative Elijah Cummings. Um, and so Twitter, of course, had a field day with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. I do think there is a way in which it is an interesting commentary on the tension between non-black Latinos and their relationship to blackness, maybe in a more authentic way than the we're all mixed. I don't know if you have thoughts on what happened with, over the weekend. I mean, I think, you know, it, it's funny because we're um, in the midst of this, you know, debate about um, about the, you know, Afro-Latino Congress people that are now thinking about how to identify. And it really speaks to this real separation between, um, you know, the political world of black folks and Latinos. And now that we have to grapple with folks that are sharing these identities, uh, we're, we're having to talk about these kinds of things. But I think 100 uh, percent, and, and this, is, this is also, you know, something that's particular to Miami, Uh, Because in Miami, I find that the Latino population and the African-American population uh, is quite separated and that there is real tension there. And so I think, you know, that gets amplified in Marco Rubio's, um, you know, what do you call it? A gaffe? I don't know what you call it. Um, Total, you know, (laughs) obliviousness. But... um, Yes. So I think, you know, we have to have these come. I mean, it's funny and it's disrespect. It's funny and disrespectful and angering and all of those things at the same time. But if we talk about the root of it, you know, why the hell doesn't Marco Rubio know what John Lewis looks like? Right. uh, Versus Elijah Cummings. Uh, And that really speaks to this this gap, um, you know, between not only black and Latino politics, but also, you know, the fact that uh, Marco Rubio is a Republican, and what does that mean about his circle as well? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to return to a little bit about what you were just saying about now having to reckon with the fact that Afro-Latinos are coming into political realm in a different way maybe than they have before. And so you sent me this great article last night Mm -hmm. by uh, Richie Torres, who is the Democratic candidate for the 15th Congressional District in New York. And he's gay and Afro-Latino, likely to win his seat, and he'll be the first openly gay Afro-Latino elected to Congress. And so he wrote an opinion uh, in the Washington Post, and I'm just going to read a little excerpt and then ask you to respond to it. So he says, there is an antiquated rule that prohibits members of Congress from joining both the Congressional Black Caucus and the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. The wall of separation between the CBC and the CHC ignores the realities of racial identity, which feels especially tone deaf in this present moment. You have to pick a side, so to speak. You can be either Black or Latino, but never both. In real life, however, I am both. We Afro-Latinos refuse to be divided against ourselves by an arbitrary rule that bears no relation to how we experience identity in the real world. And so I wonder if you could talk a bit about um, 
more broadly how Afro-Latinos maybe have felt politically divided against themselves. Um, this is just kind of a maybe a, a metonym of a, a broader problem. Yeah, I think that, I mean, there's a lot of inside politics behind this whole Rishi Torres and, and New York City politics um, between, um, you know, the CBC, the CHC. But I think overall, his point is a really important one to say that what happens when somebody sincerely wants to work with the Congressional Hispanic Caucus and the Congressional Black Caucus, and they can't, right? Yeah. Um, and then it comes down to, well, should they pick one? Mm-hmm. And then how does that process even happen? Um, you know, you have to choose loyalties, but, you know, there might not be one. Um, you know, there's a new congresswoman that, um, you know, has an African-American and a Mexican parent here in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, what will she, you know, should she, you know, be in this position? What would she decide? Um And then we're asking questions about, you know, how are we defining blackness in the Congressional Black Caucus? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and so there are a lot of different questions that I think folks are now having to grapple with. Um, But certainly it makes um, little sense to have to choose uh, between one group or another when trying to advocate, uh, particularly for a constituency that is both black and Latino. Um, so it's not only the constituency, but it's also, you know, the congressperson's identity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's at, um, at play here. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Well, and you've been working on a pretty significant oral history, political history project about Afro-Cubans, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, in politics. And I wonder, um, you know, if just the stories you've been hearing, if there's any, like, big lessons that you've learned through that project, or maybe more broadly, that help us to really think about what Latino politics or the idea of Latino politics would look like if Afro-Cubans or Afro-Latinos more broadly were actually put at the center, if their values were uh, actually were how we animated uh, Latino politics. Yeah. So in Miami, I mean, Miami to me, uh, racial politics in Miami is fascinating. And so to me, Miami is particularly uh, fascinating because it is a place where white Latinos are read as white. And mm-hmm. so they have access to whiteness in ways that white Latinos outside of Miami have not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that sense, when we think about the Cuban-American story in particular, we are, you know, the narrative is about this successful ethnic enclave that was created in Miami um, where, you know, Cubans really were able to thrive politically, economically. You know, when we look at Latinos in um, in politics, many of them are Cuban-American, particularly because of the success that Cubans have had in South Florida. However, if we insert the story of black Cubans, it's a completely different story. Mm. And so, you know, when we think about centering blackness in Latino politics, we have to change the narrative. And so, you know, when black Cubans come into Miami, they are not benefiting from that ethnic enclave. They cannot rent or purchase homes in that economic enclave because they are excluded from it. Um, they don't benefit from the social networks. They don't. Um, they aren't able to go to white segregated schools during Jim Crow. 
Um, so they're either going to private schools and paying more money um, or they're going to black segregated schools, which puts them on different trajectories completely. And so really, I think what's important about centering blackness within Latino politics is to look at our narratives and to say, you know, are we really accurately depicting Latinos if we are ignoring race? And we're not. Um, you know, there are, you know, so many stories that are far different when we talk about Black Latinos. And that's with housing. It's with education. Um, it's with even, you know, social relationships. It's with voting. Um, all of these things are different when we start talking about Blackness. And so we really change um, the narrative. We change, um, you know, the way that Latinos interact with institutions. Um, so everything really becomes um, different. And we have to we have to take that into account. Mm-hmm. I mean, in some ways, what you're offering as a way forward, as opposed to the kind of black-brown solidarity model that's been so predominant, is is a model of uh, orienting politics around blackness. That when we orient our politics around blackness, actually the needs of other Latinos will be met too. Is that a fair mm-hmm. characterization? Yeah, definitely. And And also that we see that, you know, African-Americans and Latinos, when we're looking at blackness in particular, um, are occupying the same spaces, are having the same experiences. And so that solidarity um, now becomes very different because now we're talking about folks that perhaps were not included when we were thinking about Latinos um, in, in the story. And so, you know, I think, you know, what you talked about with Pablo is important uh, to say that you know, when he said, you know, Latinos for or Latinx for Black Lives Matter, but we are black. right? And so these are our lives. Right. These are our experiences. Um, you know, there's solidarity, but then there's also, you know, being part of mm-hmm. that community. And so, yes, I mean, definitely um, when we center blackness in Latino studies, we have to then reorient the way that we see identity and the way in which Latinos interact um, with institutions and the way that they experience structural racism. Well, I think that is a perfect place to end our conversation. So, Daniel, thanks so much for talking with me today. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Awesome. Hi, all. This is Ashley Navamonteros, the Communications Associate at Latino Studies. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to check out the Latino Studies Instagram page. Follow us at Latino Studies UT to keep the conversation going.